You are listening to a message recorded at Living Hope Church in Southwick, Massachusetts. We hope you find encouragement through God's Word today. Now we're here today and we're celebrating Easter. Now if you are not like familiar with church and you're not familiar with Easter, you might think that Easter is a bit of a strange holiday because it's it's a day where Christians celebrate death and a tomb and resurrection And some might wonder why we celebrate the death of our Savior. Death is not something that people want to talk about. It's painful. It's frightening. And it's a source of great sadness and grief. Yet it's also something that mankind seeks to avoid. People are trying to prolong their life through various means, whether it's covering up our age with hair dyes or plastic surgery or Botox or trying to prolong our life with nutritional supplements and medical procedures and see if we can extend our life as far as we can. We try and hide our age, all in the endeavor of trying to, uh, you know, avoid death, try and even avoid the grave. We don't even like talking about death. Like, even within your own family, when someone dies, like, we're all, like, kind of suffering and grieving, but none of us talk to each other because it's just too painful for us. So why in the world would we have a holiday that celebrates death? Why would we celebrate something that seems as though uh, it is something that mankind tries to avoid? And if you're not a Christian, you might be looking at that with a great deal of confusion. You're like, I don't understand this holiday at all. And the reason why we do and the reason for is because the death of Jesus was the ultimate selfless sacrifice for others. It really was. Jesus, the Son of God, giving his life for us, paying the price for our sins. And for that, we're eternally grateful. And more than that, Jesus didn't just die for us. He also did what was impossible. He rose from the dead, overcoming death. So the grave, an empty grave, becomes a symbol of hope for us. There's four accounts of Jesus' resurrection in the New Testament in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This morning we're going to be looking at one of them, Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay, because we have it on the screen behind me, and hopefully it's correct. So uh, you'll be able to follow along with me. But I want us to think about this today, that we have today a joy in our hearts because When we think of what Christ did for us, that is the ultimate sacrifice. It is the ultimate act of selflessness. You know, whether you watch a movie or TV show and we see someone give their life for somebody else so that everyone else can go free or everyone else can survive, like, wow, it's selfless sacrifice. But do we ever think about the fact that someone did that for us 2,000 years ago, that Jesus gave his life for us And we didn't even know who he was. We had no relationship with him. It's one thing to give your life for a good friend or family, but to give your life for someone that, like, doesn't even know who you are yet. That's an amazing thing to think about. Take a look at Luke 24 with me, verse 1. It says, Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women came with them, They came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found that the stone was rolled away from the tomb. 
Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed by this, that, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then, as they were afraid, they bowed their faces to the earth. And the men said to them, Why do you seek for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Can you just underline that verse right there? If you walk away with nothing today from my message, would you just remember those things? And they remembered his words. You know, when you're going through hard times, I want to encourage you today to remember Jesus' words. When you're facing uh, insurmountable odds today, remember Jesus' words. When you're afraid of death and dying, you think that today might be your last, remember Jesus' words. Verse 9, he says, And they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven apostles and to all the rest. And it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves, and he departed marveling to himself what had happened. Let's pray. Gracious God, we pray today that, Lord, that you would make the resurrection a reality to us today. Lord, I pray that you would call us out of death and from our graves into a new life with Christ and help me to proclaim it clearly as I should. In Jesus' name, amen. The story of the resurrection is told in four different Gospels. Here we see in Luke's account, we see uh, these women came to the tomb and they were unaware that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus had already prepared Jesus' body for burial. They thought that the uh, body of Jesus had been laid in the tomb hastily without the proper preparations that take place during that time. And you might ask yourself, well, why did they wait till Sunday? Why didn't they just do that right away? Because Jesus died, and when Jesus died, when the sun went down, that began the Sabbath. And they couldn't do anything for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a time of rest. So they got up early... Sunday morning to the tomb to prepare the body for burial. And when they arrived there, uh, they saw the tomb was empty. The stone had been rolled away. I think it's interesting that the women were the ones that went. None of the men. None of the disciples went. The, an amazing thing, a wonderful thing is that the, the first proclaimers of the gospel, the first the ones that, to declare that Jesus had risen, were not the apostles, but rather women who were eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. So why didn't the men show up? I and mean, you might think about that. And it's like, well, maybe these disciples were afraid that they would encounter the same fate as Jesus. Maybe they were afraid they would be arrested and crucified too. And then when the women brought back the testimony, you know, not only is the tomb empty, but we saw some angels, and the angels told us that he was risen from the dead. And, and the apostles go, well, I think that's nonsense. Can you imagine that? Like, they come back with this wonderful testimony, and they say, well, we don't necessarily believe you. It sounds like the, the made-up stories of someone who's grieving and doesn't want to deal with reality. Now, these are the 12 disciples. These are the 11 that had walked with Jesus and had seen Jesus raise the uh, widow of Nain's son from the dead, who had seen them raise Lazarus from the dead. Why couldn't they believe that Jesus would rise from the grave? And it could be because of 
the, the, the kind of death that Jesus encountered, the most horrible, excruciating death imaginable, crucifixion. And perhaps they didn't think anyone could survive it. And yet the tomb of Jesus was completely empty. The title of my message today is that he left his grave so that I could leave mine. He left his grave so that I could leave mine. When they came in verse 2, it says, They found the stone rolled away. The women who went to the tomb found it rolled away and the tomb empty. And uh, you have to understand that no one could have done this. You know? It could not be done with anyone's help. The stone weighed one ton in weight. It was round and it was rolled in place by a lever. No one could have helped to sneak the body out somehow because there were Roman centurions that were guarding the tomb because Jesus as a prisoner and as someone that was put to death for uh, uh, what some considered to be insurrection was such a dangerous person to have rumored to be alive that Rome said, we're going to set a guard over them. They're going to set some centurions in front of the, the stone itself and that the stone itself would be sealed with the seal of Rome, that anyone who broke it would be branded a criminal and guilty and worthy of death. So uh, no one themselves could have rolled that away. None of the disciples could have opened there or sneaked the body out. We see in the scriptures in Matthew 28 too that an angel rolled away the stone and the guards fled. And heaven itself opened the tomb when no one else could. There were just too many obstacles stacked against it for it to be done by any earthly power, but heaven's power was on display in the resurrection. A stone removed, a body healed, and a resurrection and a hope was restored. A resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus is a miracle from heaven. As evidenced by the men standing in white robes, it wasn't like that these men were just kind of ordinary men who happened to sneak into the tomb that Mary and the others went into the tomb and there just happened to be people sitting in there in a very weird sort of way. But it says that uh, when they saw these men dressed in white, it says they fell down on their faces before these men, recognizing that these men were holy and to be revered and these men were sent from heaven because their appearance was radiant and holy. And the angels ask an interesting question. It's a question that we often need to ask ourselves when we are people that are in faith, that are people that are walking with the Lord. They ask the question, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Verse 5. Sometimes we look for life and meaning in dead places. The world has put its hope in the brevity of life and personal enjoyment to say, hey, listen, life's short. How often have you heard that? How often have you heard that from the, the more reckless people that you know in your life? Maybe they're drinking a little bit too much. Maybe they're staying out a little bit too late. And they say, you know, well, you only live once, right? You hear that? Or they say, hey, life's short. Well, it's going to be shorter if you keep going down this road. That's what you want to tell them. Will they listen? No, they absolutely will not listen. But the world has put its hope in those, those short moments of life meant for personal enjoyment. And they pursue it, whether it be success or wealth or having lots of friends or being popular or personal pleasure and enjoyment. But what people fail to realize is that these are only offer temporary happiness. But ultimately, they are an empty grave. Why is it an empty grave? Because they're empty because they are fleeting. Life changes. Am I right? Wealth can be spent, 
And if you've went to the gas pump recently, you know that wealth can be spent. If you have a 401k and you've been watching the market, you recognize wealth is fleeting and it's here one moment and gone the next. Friends move away. Popularity changes and is sometimes fickle, leaving us with an empty feeling inside. They are dead places because the pursuit of them leads to spiritual death. The scriptures tell us that the wages of sin are death. It's kind of like when you run up a credit card balance and then uh, your credit card company has the audacity to call collections because they want their money back. You can enjoy life and live recklessly, but in the end there is a payment that's due. And the same thing holds true with life, is that our life is meant to be lived and meant to be enjoyed, and God has given us the, everything that we need for life and godliness, but ultimately when we uh, get into selfishness and sin, he says the wages of those sins is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Sometimes we don't even know that we're dead. Listen, we may look alive, we look, may look vibrant, we may look well put together, we may look like we have everything figured out, we might even seem like we're happy and vibrant and full of life, but spiritually on the inside, you can be the picture of health. You could uh, do all the nutritional supplements in the world, you could do keto, you could go to the gym six times a week and be healthy on the outside, but spiritually dead on the inside. Because God only sees living and dead. God only sees saved and unsaved. He only sees those who are righteous and those who are unrighteous. We have to understand that this life is not, this body and this life is not all that we have. There's more to it than that. There's an eternal soul involved. Ephesians 2, 4 through 8 says this. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses or dead in our sins. Understand that that verse right there, he says, he says, I recognize when he looked at us, he didn't look at us like, wow, look at how uh, healthy they are. Wow, look at how excited about life they are. Wow, look at how successful they are. He didn't look at us that way. He said, while we were still dead in sins, it says that he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Then the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. I'm going to say that again. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Paul is saying this, is that you, you are saved by the grace and the gift of God that's given to you through Christ in salvation. He says, listen, I see you as spiritually dead. You'll live this life true, but forever you'll be separated from me. And now I want to give you a gift. Here is my son who has given his life for you, that if you have faith in him, you will have eternal life. But it's not because of anything we've done. It's not because of our cleverness. It's not because of all the charities we give to or all the, the good works that we do or how we volunteer for the homeless or how we help those that are in need. Those are wonderful things, but they're not the things that save you. They're the things that are the fruits of the life that's been saved in Christ. So he says, you're not going to be saved because God has some kind of good report card that you did really well. And you got all A's, and you, you did AP history, or whatever the case might be, or AP compassion. And because you did that, now you're on the honor roll of heaven, you can get in. 
It doesn't work that way. Because, you remember how they talked about in school, if you get a detention, it's on your permanent record? And it would ruin your permanent record. No one wants to, like, ruin their permanent record. Look at that one strike, that one mistake, that one mess up that you had in your life. Even if you lived a, a pretty extraordinary and charitable and good and perfect life, that one mark on your record is enough to get you expelled. Does it make sense? So it's not about, like, doing more to, good to outweigh the bad. It's about God wiping the record clean, saying, you know what? You're no longer sinful, and now I welcome you to heaven. Because if it was about our good works, then some of us wouldn't make it. Am I right? Some of us are just plain lazy. So lazy people wouldn't be in heaven if there was about good works. I'm just telling you that right now. But by grace we've been saved through faith, not by our works, so that no one can boast because of it. He said that because of this we were once dead in our trespasses, but now, because of Christ, we are seated with him in heavenly places. So the question you need to ask yourself is where would you rather be sitting? Would you rather be sitting in the grave or would you rather be sitting in heavenly places? I don't know about you, but I want to be seated in heavenly places with Christ. I want to be with him, walking with him in his power, in his grace, in his gifts, in everything that he has for me. I want that. So I'm going to walk in that. So why would I sit in the grave any longer? It's kind of like when you were a bachelor or when you were single or when you had college roommates and it's always amazing to go into someone's apartment and you see how they live and how little they live on and sometimes how unclean it is. And you're like, I can't believe anybody lives here. And then you get married. And then you're with a spouse who wants the house clean and wants it to look nice and your place is beautiful. People walk into it and they go, that's a beautiful place. You're seated in the heavenly realms now. But there was a day that you were sitting in your squalor, in your filth, in your poverty because you were just out of college or you just moved out of the house and you had nothing. And so why would you go back if someone gave you a mansion and a beautiful place? Why would you go from there? You know, you know what I'm really longing for right now? And no one ever says this. You know what I long for? I long for those days where I used to eat ramen noodles only. Like I long for the days where my coffee table was like a wire wheel that they used to like, you know, when they do the... Uh, uh, telephone poles out there. No one says that. No one says, I long for being poor. So why would we say, God who has given us all the riches of his heavenly realms, why would we ever say, I want to go back to where it was and where I was before? And that's the difference between sitting in the grave and sitting in heavenly places. Jesus is calling us out of the grave today. That grave was a place of death. But in that empty grave, there was the good news of hope. Let's go back to Luke 24, verses 6 and 7. He is not here, they said, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. On the third day, rise again. And they remembered his words. The angels had good news. It's the testimony of the angels that dispelled any doubt about Jesus' whereabouts. In case there was any doubt or lingering fears, they let him know what had happened to the Lord. And in that moment, the women's perspective changed from worry and confusion to joy. They needed to just be reminded of Jesus' words. And we, too, need to be reminded of Jesus' words, of what he said and what he has done. During our most confusing and difficult hours, it is remembering Jesus' words 
that will give us the hope that we need. Why is the resurrection so significant and necessary? Because the difference between a memorial and a movement. A memorial says, let's go visit that place. Let's see that statue. Let's see that plaque. But everything that used to be associated with that is gone. A movement is something that's living and active and continues to move on. It's the difference between a funeral and a celebration. That's why we can go from Good Friday, a time of mourning, to a time of celebration, because Christ has overcome the one thing that every man on this planet fears, which is death. And he's made a way for us where there is no way. Easter isn't a time of mourning, but it's a time of rejoicing. Jesus wasn't a martyr to be mourned, but a hero who triumphed over life's greatest enemy, death. He's not dead and gone. He's alive and well and has made a way for us to get to heaven and has led the way so we can follow him. Why was the resurrection necessary? Why does there have to be an empty tomb? The scriptures tell us that Jesus was buried in a borrowed tomb. It didn't belong to him. It belonged to Joseph of Arimathea. So Jesus was buried in a borrowed tomb, but he didn't borrow it for very long. He only borrowed it for three days. It's kind of like, can I stay at your place for a couple of nights? I just am passing through. Jesus borrowed a tomb, but he didn't borrow it for very long. He only borrowed it for three days. Why is an empty grave important to us? An empty grave shows that the grave was emptied of its power. The power of death was broken in that moment. Every single person that walks this earth will die. Every one of us in this room will die. I know that's a morbid thought. But some of us are keep fooling ourselves like that's never going to happen to us. Or we just keep putting it off in our mind. But for the Christian, the reason why that we can look at death with a different perspective is because we know there's no finality to that. We know that we don't stop existing after that. If you're a person that doesn't have faith, you think we're just a highly evolved animal, and when we hit the dirt, we die, and we rot, and there's nothing left to us. But I would tell you today that there's a different destiny that God created for every living being here on this earth. That mankind is created in the image of God. The, the, the account of creation says that unlike everything else that was created in this earth that was spoken into existence, it says that man was formed from the dust of the earth and God breathed his very life into it. You were created to be different. So death is not a, a final moment. Death is not the end. The grave, an empty grave, shows us that the grave was emptied of its captive. It tried to hold Jesus, but it could not hold him. Because Jesus is the originator and author of life. He was the one that spoke the universe into existence, and his words today still speak life to us through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why is an empty grave important? The grave and the cross became symbols, not of death any longer, but of life and hope. I want you to think about that, that this cross, to the, the disciples and the people that were walking around during Jesus' time, this was not a symbol of life. This was a symbol of horrible torture and death. But when Christ rose from the dead, it now becomes a piece of jewelry that we wear around our necks. And it would seem odd to us that, we, you know, Again, if you don't understand Christianity, if you've never walked as a Christian, you don't believe in Christ, why do you have a symbol of death around your neck? Why do we, 
Why do we have this here? It's because the meaning of it has changed. It's changed. It no longer means death anymore. It means life. Talk about a contradiction. Talk about irony. Is that it used to mean death, but now it means life. Now it's, you know, it's on our platforms. Now it's hanging around our necks. Now it's on the steeples on our buildings. It meant and it symbolizes life itself. When we look at the grave, we don't see the grave as something that, to be feared, but now the grave is empty. It's empty of its power. It's empty of its finality. It's empty of fear. We don't look at death the same way anymore. I don't know about you, but when my father passed away, I don't drive by the cemetery and say, that's where my dad is. That's where his remains are. But I know where he is today. He's with the Lord today. He's in heaven, and he's in an eternal place. I don't have to keep going back there and spending time with him because he's not there anymore. He's with the Lord, and I will see him again. So for the Christian, death is even different. The idea of being at a grave is different. We don't even like going to the grave. You might have laid a family member to rest, and you're like, how often do you go visit the cemetery? Probably not very often because you're like, well, he's not there. That's a Christian perspective. We know that this is not the final resting place. We don't know that that is not our home. That is not the end, but heaven is our home. Because Jesus left his grave, I can leave mine. And every other believer can live as well and leave theirs. Because he lives, I too will live. Now this is important. You can't have resurrection without death. This new life in Christ begins its salvation, but it's only fully realized when we die. Only when we pass away will we actually encounter heaven. So sometimes we are trying to push that off and push it a little even further away. But the scriptures tell us that when we die, we will immediately be in heaven. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Jesus to the thief on the cross says, today you'll be with me in paradise. And we can only experience heaven after we pass away, after we die, or until Jesus comes back. But for us to experience the resurrection life in Christ, there's a different kind of death we must experience, the death of our sin nature, the death of our old life. Matthew 16, 24 through 26, Jesus had some interesting words to say about this. Now, I want you to think about this in terms of the way that we live with self-preservation in mind. The way that we often live to prolong our lives and to, and to try and extend our life and how we sometimes think of ourselves but not others. Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, if you want to go where I go, you must be willing to die. You must be willing to forsake all. If you seek to preserve or save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for his sake, you will find it. And what's most important is your soul. Just as there was a price for, that Jesus paid on the cross for our salvation... There's a price for us to pay as well. We must be willing to deny ourselves and die to ourselves. The picture of the cross is one of dying to our old way and living and choosing to follow Jesus. At stake is our very soul. You can gain everything in this life, but lose the one thing that is the most important, your eternal soul.
We cannot have our own life and new life at the same time. We cannot have one foot in the world and the other with Christ. We can't straddle the fence in our decision and devotion. We are forced to make a choice. And anything less than that would make us two-faced and hypocritical. Oh, yes, I'm a Christian, but oh, yes, I certainly do love the things of this world too. We must make a choice. We can't live a divided life. We can't live a hypocritical, two-sided life. To truly experience the joy of the new life in Christ, you must be willing to die to the old life and choose to follow the new life in Him. When you decide to follow Jesus, you must choose to leave the past in the grave and not live like you used to. Leave all your sin, your hang-ups, and your habits in the grave where it belongs. Because once we're dead to it, once we decide to follow Jesus, we're dead to those things. Think of even in the tomb, like when Jesus died, like even the garments that he wore in his burial were left there. What he said, what that was saying is like, not only is the grave empty, I'm no longer here and I no longer need these. And they were folded up and left on the grave. I wish that we would have that mentality for ourselves too. Because there's so many things as we uh, become Christians, we're like, I'm a Christian, but I also need this, and I also need that. And it's stuff from our old life. And it's kind of like wearing grave clothes after you've been resurrected from the dead. You've got dirt on them, smells a little bad, not exactly the best thing in the world. Can you imagine that? Aren't you glad that when we go to heaven, you're not wearing the same stupid suit or dress that they, you wore when you were buried, and you don't look like that, but that rather you'll be given new garments and that you'll be with those who are redeemed new body and new everything. That's a wonderful thought. But yet we're tr- still going around life. Even though we are alive in Christ, we keep wearing the same old things that we used to wear. We don't need those things anymore. What was left in the tomb? Fear was left in the tomb. Confusion was left in the tomb. Discouragement was left in the tomb. Defeat was left in the tomb. Grief was left in the tomb. That those who saw the tomb empty, everything changed. They're no longer worried They're no longer fearful. They're no longer confused. They're not wondering where he is. They know where he is because they heard the good news and everything's changed now. You know what was not in the tomb? Jesus. Not in the tomb anymore. And when he came out of the tomb, he left everything behind it. And you know what he brought with him out of the tomb? Victory. Victory over death. Victory over sin. Victory over hell. Victory over the grave. Eternal life. A restored relationship with God peace, forgiveness, strength, and joy. He brought all those out with him. Imagine that. It's like he went in in death, but he came out bearing gifts. He came out bearing peace. He came out bearing power, life, and joy. He came out of those things. Most of us leave a funeral in tremendous grief and tremendous sorrow. Most of us don't even think about heaven as being a wonderful place because we don't know much about it. But I want you to know today, when Jesus came out of that grave, he left everything that was about Friday behind. Everything that was about our sin behind. And he brought with him life and power and forgiveness and hope and strength. Why do we go back to an empty tomb? To remember what Jesus has done. The garden tomb receives millions of visitors every year. People travel from all over the world to step into that small tomb to see that Jesus is not there, but he's risen. When we go back to the tomb, we don't go back to mourn, but we go to rejoice. 
because he's not there. He's risen. He stepped out of that tomb under his own power, risen, resurrected, and restored. Jesus today has called us out of our tomb. I'm going to ask the worship team to join me in the front as we get ready to close this service out. Jesus has called us out of our tomb. Can you imagine being dead? Being in that cold, lifeless place. And being fully aware of everything. Being stuck there. Can you imagine? You don't have to stand, it's fine. for a little while longer so I just would feel bad for you if I did you're so wonderful though imagine being stuck there knowing this is my fate this is where I'm going to be forever and then someone comes and opens that door for you says here's the way out here's the way to life and if you saw that wouldn't you wouldn't you go out of it? Wouldn't you leave that place? That place of death, that place of darkness, that place of cold lifelessness. Wouldn't if someone opened the door and said, hey, you know, come out of there. You can live again. I can give you a brand new start. Wouldn't you just want to leave that place and start anew? Sometimes we can feel that way when it comes to the things in our life. We're bound up by things. We're in a place of death. Maybe you're bound by addictions to certain things. Maybe you're bound up with addictions to drugs, alcohol, pornography, whatever, shame. And you feel like you're bound and dead and buried and everyone's forgotten you or forsaken you. Can I tell you today that Jesus didn't rise from the dead to leave you in that grave? He didn't rise from the dead. He didn't walk out of that grave so that you could just stay in that place of death. But he's opened the door and said, come on out, son. Come on out, daughter. I have a new beginning for you. You can be clean. You can be whole. You can be restored today. If you heard that, wouldn't you want to do that? Wouldn't you want to leave that place? Sometimes we're stuck in a place of shame and regret. Sometimes we're stuck in a place of guilt and remorse. Sometimes we're in a place where we feel like we're living under the condemnation that our mother or father spoke over us. Our ex-wife or ex-husband spoke over us. The children that's forsaken us have spoken over us. I want you to know today that that's not the end of the story. That that's not the end of the story. Jesus didn't rise in power and majesty and glory to leave you in a half-life sort of situation. He came to life so that you could have life and have it abundantly to its fullest. To its fullest, not some kind of uh, sort of life where you kind of just limp through it, but rather a new life in Christ. And in him there's healing, healing from the past, healing from abuse. Like, God, how can anyone ever love me after what I've been through? 
How can you love me? How can I love anyone else again? The truth is there's healing that flows from the empty tomb today. There's grace that flows from the empty tomb today. There's new life that flows from the empty tomb today. It's not a holiday for us, not some religious observance, but it marked the beginning between the time that we were dead and the time that we were alive. We can mark our life, not by the date that we were born into this world, but the date that we were born again, where everything changed for us. This morning, I believe that the Lord wants more people to come out of that grave and to step into new life in Christ. He's calling you out of that grave. He's calling you by name and he's saying, come and live. Why dwell in the darkness anymore? Why dwell in the shadows anymore? Why be dead but choose instead to live? We can just close our eyes in just a moment of reflection before God today. Jesus is calling you out of that empty grave. He's calling you from death to life. You can't save yourself. Don't even try. Well, I'll just do good, do more good works. I'll just be involved in more charities. I'll just donate my time more. It's not going to be enough. Because if your life was a set of scales and you weighed out everything bad you've done versus the things that you have done good, I would guarantee you there's more bad than good on that scale. But it's not about the scales. About the one who is able to wipe the slate clean and give you a fresh start. The scriptures tell us how we can receive this salvation that comes only through Christ. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says this, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved with one heart, with the heart you believe unto righteousness, and with our mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Today, you can have new life in Christ by simply professing your faith in Him and choosing to follow Him. The choice to leave the grave is as simple as believing in Jesus and choosing to walk away from the past and walk in the new life that's in Christ. looking around today, I want to ask you this question. Do you want to come out of that grave today? you feel like you're stuck? you feel like you're in there and you can't get out? You came today, you were a visitor, you were a guest, maybe you've been to church, but it's never made sense to you, but today it's making sense. Hallelujah, today it's making sense in Jesus' name. And you know that God wants to get a hold of your life. You want, he wants to change you for the better. And this morning you say, you know, I'm ready. I'm ready to walk out of that grave. I'm ready to start a new life in Christ. Whatever it takes, I'm ready to do that this morning. I realize I'm not the way, I'm not the one who saves, but you're the one who saves, Lord. And that's where you're at with no one looking around, with no one paying attention to anybody else just lift a hand and say, Pastor, I'm ready to come out of that grave today. It's me that you're talking about. I hear you. 
and I'm ready to respond. Just slip a hand up wherever you are. That's me, Pastor. said Romans 10 9 and 10 says if you confess it and believe it in your heart you will be saved it's not the prayer that saves you it's the faith that saves you so will you repeat this after me dear Lord Jesus I know that I'm a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness I believe you died for my sins again from the dead I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and life I leave the grave behind and today I start a new life with you I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. Today I am saved. In your name I pray. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise today. Praise the Lord. Thank you for listening. We invite you to join us Sunday mornings to worship with us. We are located at 267 College Highway in Southwick, Massachusetts. For more information about Living Hope Church, visit us online at www.livinghopechurchag.org.